The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This Is Working. On this show, we talk to leaders who have a significant impact on how we work and how we live. My guest today is Toto Wolf. He is arguably the most successful person in the history of Formula One. Toto arrived at Mercedes in 2013 and quickly got to work, transforming the F1 team into a relentless winning machine. Toto has a keen eye for top talent and a steely determination to be the best in his business. That coupled with the practiced candor and transparency has made him a formidable leader. This success is hard won. Toto persevered through a traumatic childhood, a lack of resources, and really a rather uneventful driving career. Once he turned to business and finance, however, he began his meteoric rise to the top. I sat down with Toto to talk about his journey, his business practices, and his vision for the next generation. But first, I had to ask him about how he accomplished his incredible winning streak. The Mercedes team won eight consecutive titles, and the CEO of F1 recently called him the best principal in the business. So to kick us off, I asked him to talk about what it's like running the team. Here's our conversation. I think what I do is I'm running people that run race cars. And our sport is uh, very intense. We're racing 23 times a year. On weekends, we, we have a normal job in the office. And I think that attracts a certain species of people, very competitive and ambitious, um, highly educated. And so my job is actually to provide these people a framework where, where they can operate at, at their best. And I enjoy that. I enjoy the psychology of extracting high performance from people. And we're not just having two superstars in the car, but we're having actually 2,000 superstars that run um, the car and the engine. And I really enjoy that part uh, of my activity. And so, so how does that play out? How do you manage a company where you have massive stars and you have people who are responsible for the entire running of the company? The needs of those two groups, I would think, are very different. When we talk about companies or teams, it's a bit of a hybrid word because what is it actually? It's the sum of the people that work together. What I do and what I love to do is trying to understand the complexities of the characters and the personalities. It is not about me and trying to optimize my own personal situation, but it's about optimizing everybody else's um, situation. We all have dreams and hopes, anxieties. And um, and I think I'd like to understand what that is. What is what is happening to the people that either re- report directly to me or the, to, to the wider organization? I love to walk around and hear the opinions on the on the machine shop floor. I like to, to engage with areas um, in, on the engineering side. And in, in that respect, we are trying to achieve a high-performance environment with a huge workload, but at the same time, um, safe place. We are empowering and we are trying to make people actually enjoy what they do, which is not always easy. So um, that is my main task. Hmm. So I'm trying to balance all of these in my head. You're talking about being hyper-competitive, 
making sure that you understand the psychology of what's going on with people, making sure they enjoy what they do. Those don't always go together. In, in a highly competitive environment, that might be really tense. And maybe you, some managers would think, I get the best out of people when they are constantly under pressure and always trying to be better the next day and blocking everything else out. But it sounds like you're saying you want to understand the, the whole person. You want to bring all of them into work. How do you make sure that you are still getting people to be so competitive and sharing everything that's going on in their lives? Extracting um, high performance as, a, as an entity, whether it's a sports team or a company, is not always about working 80 hours a week and being under constant pressure. It also means that you need to be able to depressurize, um, to energize yourself and be motivated. So balancing um, those sides is, is crucially important. Finding out what drives people. And it's not always the trivial things like money or power. It might be internal or external recognition, having more time with the family, being able to spend time on your hobby or the social interactions in the team. So it's not one dimensional. We are complex personalities. All of us are different, contrary to what leaders normally assume. Everybody thinks like me. Um, and that is, it, it is what keeps me curious. Hmm. And also, it's, it's, it's not a static situation. We, we may have times during the season where it's very intense, where people are borderline um, burning out. But we're trying to anticipate that and, and make sure that this comes in cycles and people are actually able to regenerate. Now, I'm saying that as, as if it would be a home run. It is not. We are, we are under strain but we are trying to smoothen that out as, as good as possible because it's gaining as a performance advantage. Are you able to hire people who understand that that is what you're looking for out of your team? When you hire a great engineering manager, I assume that a lot of what they come in with is incredible engineering capabilities. What you're asking them to do is to also be great managers and great psychologists and understand the different needs of different people on the team. What's the process for totalizing your team when they join? I think, first of all, uh, people are attracted by, by Formula One because it, does, it is at the crossroads of, of business, engineering, and sports. We've advertised the position most recently, and we got 4,000 applications. And uh, I think once people join the team, whatever their background is, they're highly motivated to have made it into Mercedes F1. And I think that keeps them going for a long time. But the more interesting point for me is actually to manage the well-being and the expectations and the performance of the people after two or three years, you know, when yeah. that first enthusiasm is ebbing off. And uh, to, I think it's not necessary, necessary to totalize the, the company because we are all individuals and we manage differently. But we have this core objective, our purpose, and we have a vision and we have a mission, and we're defining that uh, very clearly. And of course, with a sports team, it's easier to, to set those KPIs based on on-track success or, or commercial value that we generate. Uh, that is easier than just having a, an EBITDA target, because um, what is in for me? I think this is the essential question for all of us um, in the teams, and you need to have that clear target, but also clear responsibilities and accountability. We all like to be benchmarked. We all like to measure ourselves. Why, why are we counting steps on an Apple Watch? It's that it's in us to actually 
have these KPIs for ourselves. One of the things I've read, and tell me whether this is correct or not, is that you like for everybody at your company on the team to know who their rivals are in their positions at the other teams and to constantly be thinking about those people. What can you do to beat them? What can you do to top them? How would that person, how great is that person going to feel if they beat you? And how do you make sure that doesn't happen? Is that right? Can you talk about how that plays out? Yeah, there's the theory of some uh, psychologists, the sport psychologists that say uh, sustainable performance needs to come within you. And and I think this is like the ultimate goal, but it is quite easy to work with enemy building. I think when you know who your opposite person in, in a team is or in, in the other company and you 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 visualize that, you have the even the picture printed out on your desk or in your or in your uh, notebook you look at that person permanently and when you struggle a, li- a little bit when you seem overworked or you're thinking about other th- other stuff you see that person you're looking into their eyes and you're saying to yourself what is she or he doing at the moment and what do i need to to do in order to outperform that person and i can tell you on my notebook i have three windows that are always open and i click on these windows and there's three faces and every time I look uh, into these faces, and they're outside of the industry, by the way, but I'm not going to tell you uh, who that is, it just keeps me going. It pushes me further. First of all, I was definitely going to ask who those faces were, so I'm disappointed you're not going to share that. But for you, the rivalries or the people that you want to top are not other principles? No, um, not at all, because... Uh, the team principles in this sport are successful and highly competitive, but most of their background is they are racing managers. And I come from a different side. I, I come from finance and I co-own the team. So it's a little bit more of a, how can I say, wider perspective on the performance of the team is just not only the stopwatch, but it is also the performance of our team as a stakeholder in the industry. What I want to achieve is to make our team um, the best sports team in the world. And I think Formula One has started to grow really big in the US. We have um, increased our revenues and, and profits considerably over the last few years. So this is, what, this is what I'm interested in. Got it. In a lot of businesses and for a lot of people, the competition often doesn't come from outside, but it comes from within. Is part of your goal to keep people looking outside versus looking at each other uh, in terms of measuring success? The most important for me is to meet my own expectations. And my own expectations are based on what I, what I would like to achieve, knowing how I need to continue to develop my personality and my um, uh, capability and know-how. But obviously, we are also benchmarking ourselves. So the benchmarking exercise is one pillar of the expectation settings. And the other one is what I think I am personally able to achieve. So you're looking outside to give you the benchmarking uh, level. And you're looking within you and trying to activate all you have to tap every single resource that, that's there to, in order to perform. One of your other management techniques is radical honesty, maybe radical is too strong, but certainly very open and honest feedback constantly with the team. Why is this kind of transparency so important to you, this constant feedback? And how is it met within the company? I think it is very important to encourage 
um, everyone in the team to speak up because only if we are creating um, a safe environment where everyone can really participate in optimizing the performance of the team, then you will um, outperform the others. So we have a motto uh, that is seed, say, it, fix it. But that is easier said than done because if you haven't got that safe environment, if you feel you're not empowered by your manager and it would potentially risk um, your job, you're not doing that. And in that respect, we are trying to be super transparent. And it needs to start with myself. It's always with the leader. I am honest about my own performances. If I don't perform, if I'm making mistakes, I'm the first one to say it. And I think people have seen that this is an environment where you can actually admit your mistakes and you can do better next time. And slowly but surely, this has cascaded into the organization. People see that this is a safe place. You're not going to be fired if you, if you, if you fail. And, but it's something that I'm, that I'm applying permanently. You mentioned making sure that every voice in the room is heard. Do you want to make sure that everyone is talking? And if so, how do you make sure people who are not comfortable or not sure of themselves or don't think they have anything to add are adding to the conversation? It, it needs to start with making clear to everyone in the company that they are contributing to the team's success. Everybody contributes. And I think we are having this sense of um, contribution within the team of responsibility, but also being measured and being held accountable. But again, you can only achieve that by encouraging people to speak up. By, by making sure that their bosses don't hammer them down if they do speak up and don't see it as undermining. Living to these standards and values every day is actually very complex. We're going to take a quick break. More with Toto Wolf in just a moment. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. These last few years have had a big impact on Formula One. The pandemic and the great reshuffle have affected the entire business from racing to retention. Here's how Toto sees the impact. Obviously, we are competing for the best talent and you need to figure out, if you can, what is the framework and the environment that we need to create for talent 
to grow, to prosper. And, and again, this is very indi individual. And I think for every department, it is different. And we are trying to empower our heads of department to take decisions for their staff um, based on the individual and, and their needs. Obviously, we can do that with an organization of 2,000 people much easier than a multinational global company. But this is really the looking at the individual and trying to find out what is the optimum framework to perform. On the machine shop floor, you can't work from home and you need to respect that um, these people come into the office every day. But then there is areas like graphic design or certain marketing areas that can work from home and for them it might be easier and it will create more more output. But we're learning, we're learning on the job at the moment and we're trying to understand how we can extract most performance. And one, if I were to summarize it in one of my key learnings is that we are social animals. And when I go back to the office, uh, I, I enjoy interacting. I enjoy being in the, in the kitchen and, and having a chat with people that I would normally not chat, uh, have discussions that become creative and interesting without having been on the agenda. So I think we will find out that this social component of sharing an office is quite quite a big part of our well-being rather than being um, secluded in your own four walls. It sounds like you're still wrestling with this question of, do you stick with hybrid and allow people to experience the kind of life they want to experience, but encourage them to come back to the office is it important enough for you to say you have to be in the office? We, we are social animals. We need to be around each other. Or do you want to continue to be somewhat hybrid and let people make these decisions themselves? I think in this day and age, if you want to retain the best people or attract talent, uh, you need to offer some kind of um, hybrid working environment. But because we are a uh, not only creative, but also a manufacturing company and we go racing, for most of the department, it's simply not possible to work from home. And I see that um, that all of us that are in the office or work every day, it, it is quite enjoyable to interact. And I think it will it it's going to come like it needs to come. It's all going to fall into place. And I, I think rather than us designing a hybrid working model um, or, or being adamant of having everybody back in the office, in a year or two years, we will see where that has led us, whether our performance has suffered um, we will be able to attribute KPIs to entities that have allowed uh, um, hybrid working or five days a week, three days a week, um, or, and others that haven't done that. But my personal feeling is we are humans, and uh, I think it's going to go in a way that we will be working in the offices, whether it's three days or four days or five days, I don't know. We are learning. One of the things that is, I find most fascinating is that every year, you are given new restrictions and rules about how the races work, how the cars work. Uh, this year in particular, some really massive changes. How do you manage a team knowing that there's going to be all kinds of new variables that you have to plan for from year to year? That's pretty unusual in the business world. Is this something you just get so used to or is every year a kind of a surprise and challenge? There is an interesting connect to your question now and the previous one on hybrid working. Formula One is all about, like you said, changing regulations. Um, if you win championships like we do, uh, these uh, decisions on regulations will be a little bit biased against that. 
for all the right reasons, because nobody wants to see teams and drivers winning every single year. It's, it's not good for the on, on the entertainment factor. But so we need to adapt. We need to we can't freeze a successful organization and say, well, this is this, these are the reasons why we're performing and we're not changing it. But it's about um, recognizing that we are a dynamic entity. We need to constantly adapt to a new regulatory framework um, or to changing uh, competitive orders. And this is what we enjoy. It is, it is being flexible enough based on the Darwinistic principle to cope with a constant changing environment. And so whatever is being thrown at us, we embrace the situation and we embrace the fact that we just need to adaptive. Uh, I'd love to ask you about your own career in, in your background. You are, unlike a lot of other owners, principals in the sports business, you're someone who really didn't come from money. You were, you suffered some, your dad died when you were young. I, I know you were, you were pulled out of a, a private school because your, your, your mom wasn't able to, to continue to pay the bills. How did the way you were raised impact how you manage yourself now and how you think about your career? It is important to acknowledge that each of us um, has their history and, and all of us suffered in some kind of way. There's much worse than what I had to go through. But clearly, my situation as a boy and as a growing up teenager is that if you're, if you're, if you're being raised in an environment where you where you, you, you see money and you see wealth, but you don't have it. It's just right in front of your eyes every single day. And, and uh, you just see the difference. And it's, it was humiliating for me. Uh, different to when, you know, you're growing up in an environment where your peers are just like you, whether it is money or no money. But for me, that was, a, that was very hard um, when, I, when I was young. And um, it's certainly still a driving factor. I believe that some degree of uh, trauma or humiliation can be quite a can be quite a um, driving factor in your upbringing, but at least it was with me. But I hope I can provide an environment for my family and my children that uh, where this is not necessary. And it's it's not a must. There's plenty of very successful people out there in their own businesses. They've had a, um, a really nice family environment when they grew up, a safe environment, and they're still happy. Um, and successful in, in their own way. So there is not a blueprint how it should be, but with me, it was, and it, it still is, um, a, a drive. You're also not someone who came into this industry. You were a racer, but you then went into banking. You were a venture capitalist. You came in from sort of from the money side of this, but you have this passion also for for the racing when people are talking to you about wanting to have a career in, in Formula One or have a career with Mercedes, what kind of career advice do you give people? I think when I look at my own career, I, I, I try to be a racing driver, but with, non, with not the necessary funding um, to, to make it into go-karts and then into junior single-seater series. It is very difficult. And I realized that it was a moment where it was important for me to understand from my later life, you need to be able to assess your own capability and you need to be brutally honest with yourself. Am I good enough for what I want to achieve or not? And I think I could have made it into Formula One, but I saw that there's maybe a little difference between how I drove a car and all the others. And um, and then 
because of a lack of sponsorship, that door closed of a driving career. And another one opened in banking. And then another one opened in, in venture capital in the late nineties. Uh, and so every, every part of my career was important to, to bring me where I am today. I really try to encourage young people today. And I do it with my kids as well. To say, just let it pan out. But if you're doing something, then you may as well be doing it right and, and give it all you have. If that is not for you, then another door will open. And Toto, I want to end with one story that I've read about you. There's a story that you were so involved in the details of the business that it includes everything down to exactly how the toilets need to be cleaned on race day and where the brush goes in the bathroom. What would make you get involved at that level of detail? So this is... Um, uh, a multidimensional topic because on one side it is the pure performance factor we travel to various destinations and and uh, we we are jet lagged our immune system is probably down so keeping the hygiene high in our premises is important to not catch flu or cold or, or something worse especially in covid times so we were the first team that employed a hygiene manager that made sure that um, it is simply clean and um, uh, so, a contribution to performance. But the soft factor is that there is no job too big for myself. And I'd like to show respect for everyone um, in the team, whatever their job is. I like to show that, that, that what they are doing has value and is creating performance. And... It's another part of interacting with the person that contributes to our success. Incredible. Uh, well, Toto, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fascinating conversation. Congratulations on all of your success. And uh, I hope that we can have you back here to talk about your ninth, 10th, 11th consecutive wins as well. Thank you. But, you know, success is, is, is past. It's, there's trophies that are relict of the, relict of the past. So I'd like to come back to chat with you, but hopefully more success. But there is no guarantee for that. That was Toto Wolf. To dive deeper into this conversation, check out my newsletter on LinkedIn. It's also called This Is Working. One thing that really jumped out at me was this idea that you should always have your competition in mind to the point of having pictures of them on your desk. I could not operate like that, but I guess it works. Or does it? I'm curious how our community feels about that level of internal and very personal competition. Would it help you do your best work? Please post your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter, Instagram, wherever you're having those conversations. And be sure to tag me in using the hashtag This Is Working. This Is Working is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Stephen Valdivia, Victoria Taylor, and Candace Weiner. Joe DiGiorgi mixes our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our head of news production. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon. <laughs>